Thanks, Steve. Uh, if you guys have any questions on anything to do with finances, I really want to encourage you to go and have a chat with Sean or one of the other members of our exec. Um, we, we really want to have a, a transparent policy about where all our money is spent. Feel free to ask whatever questions you want on that. Um, yeah, so so wanted to say that to start off with. The other thing to kind of summarise on what, what Sean just helpfully went through for us is... Um, Basically, we've got two months to the end of February until our internal kind of amounts of money run out as a church. So it's a little bit of, hey, we need to actually pick up this and move out of home and carry our expenses as we think through that. Uh, But I think it's doable. Well, last week we saw that the existence of suffering wasn't because God's powerless to do something about it. Uh, We saw that Habakkuk was this guy in the midst of incredible suffering that was about to happen, about to be smashed, but that God, God was behind that suffering. And what we saw coming out of it was that God was not only powerful enough to pull us out of suffering, and sometimes he does, but he's powerful enough to put us in it, to show us that we need to trust him, to mold us and shape us so that we might see that he is in control. He is the one who is at the center of the universe, and he's offered us life forever. We saw that the solution to suffering was to trust the one who's in control. To look at his acts, the way God had acted throughout history. Um, To look at the cross, where Jesus was abandoned for us. Where he dealt with the the penalty for our turning our backs on God. Where he suffered and, and to put our life in Jesus' hands. That was the kind of picture. But this week, we're thinking through the issue of how do we do that? How do we do that when when the chips are down. As I was preparing last week's talk, I, I came across some stuff by Tim Keller, who's a pastor in the, in the US, um, that was kind of looking at Habakkuk and had some really helpful things on Habakkuk and generosity. And I thought this would work really well with seeing Habakkuk last week and working this week through where we're at as a church. And how do we think about being generous even when the chips are down, even when things are hard? Uh, much of what I've got to say came from kind of uh, listening to his talk that was on, on the net there. What we're going to see today is this. It's possible to have a life of sustained joy and generosity even when everything's going wrong. It's possible to have a life of sustained joy and generosity even when everything's going wrong. Why don't we pray that God would help us to see that now as we look at his word. Lord, this morning as we um, have heard you speak, as we sit here and think through the world and what matters in life and really our finances and and where we're at, we ask that you would shape us to be people who trust in you, who see what you've done and understand the amazing depths of what you've done. And so live with with our all, honoring you with great joy. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, the words Steve just read for us um, describe a disaster, but not just any disaster, an economic disaster. An economic disaster is is really what's on view here as Habakkuk speaks. Look at verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. It's a pretty bad situation. Figs, grapes... Uh, olives and grain, the kind of the four ways that the land produced fruit so you could eat. Uh, sheep and cattle, well, they were the meat in the sandwich, right? That was the thing where you got your, your meat from. Um, that was where you got your sustenance. Uh, and, but it was more than that. To this kind of 7th century BC world, um, 
sheep and cattle and grain were the way in which he produced wealth. Uh, they had currency about the 7th century, like dollars and cents, they didn't call them that, um, in Habakkuk's time were around. But that wasn't how you amassed wealth. Your investments were in your livestock. Uh, your investments were in your land. And what is on view here in Habakkuk is really a portfolio. Uh, it's an investment strategy and their daily food all combined into one. This is their everything. And what's being described is complete economic disaster. How do I respond when everything goes to custard? And I mean everything. No figs, no grapes, no olives, no grain, no sheep, no nothing. Your, 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 your bank account, zero. Your investment's gone. Your way to live just isn't there. That's what's on view. And what Habakkuk is saying is, how do you do that? How do you give thanks to God? How do you be generous when that's the reality? Well, as he speaks about this time where there is no harvest, to the Jewish ear, he's straight away bringing up this idea of the first fruit. So we're going to have a look at this in a little bit of detail. But what he's alluding to is that when harvest came, the Jews would give the first fruits to God. If we're going to understand what Habakkuk is saying about finding joy in economic scarcity, I want us to take a look at what he says with a background of Deuteronomy 26. We're going to have a look at that. It's one of the places where this principles of the first fruits is actually put down. And as we look at Deuteronomy 26, we're then going to come back to Habakkuk and go, well, we're going to see three things. No matter what season of life we're in, we are called to generosity that is sacrificial, not just out of our surplus. We're called to be joyful as we do it, not just out of our duty. And we're called to, be, to, to see the graciousness of God, because of, to see what Jesus has actually offered us. So the first fruits, what, what is this idea of, of, of first fruits? Well, the idea of harvest for the Jew was inseparable from the idea of first fruit. Have a look at Deuteronomy uh, 26, verse 2. It's on the screen. God says through Moses uh, to, to Israel, um, You must take some of the first, or the first fruits, of all the land's produce that you harvest from the land Yahweh your God is giving you. You ought to take the, the first things that come and say, Look, I'm going to recognize that you are God and you give me everything. Now, if, if you're a farmer, basically all your income would come during that harvest season, would come when you're kind of getting the money back. You know, you've planted for ages, you've, you've, you've watered, right? You've watched things grow, the, the, the kind of, the crops have come, you've done everything, but then harvest would come. And at no point so far have you got any money in. Harvest would come and then you knew how much you'd have. Then you'd get your earnings for the, for the season. Now, most of us, is my guess, aren't farmers. Um, we don't kind of live in this kind of way of thinking. Um, but we, we don't, sorry, similarly to farmers, we don't all know what we're going to get. Um, we've got investments, we, we get bonuses in our works, we have contracts that we're hoping to get, we have, if we're musicians, we've got gigs that we're hoping to play at, but we don't know how many we'll get, or uh, if, we, if we're builders, we've got houses to build, but we're not sure how many will happen and what the rain will affect and how much you'll be able to get done, or if you're a shift worker, you're not sure how many shifts you will get and what ones get double rate, right? We, we don't really have any certainty about what we're going to get until we get it. But how does that affect us being generous and giving? How does this principle work? Well, if you wait till all the harvest is in, you know exactly how much you've made. Right? Then we can go, great, I've made this much this year, so I can afford to give this much away uh, to the work of the gospel, to seeing the poor looked after and loved. And that's the way we think through things. But that's not what God says to do. 
That's not the principle. It's the natural way we think. But here's what God says. I want you to give the first fruits. What that means is the Jew would go out for the first couple of days. He'd bring in the kind of first part of the harvest. He didn't know how big the harvest was going to be, how fruitful it would be, but it didn't matter. He was to give that first part to God. Uh, You gave before you knew how much you were actually going to get. And then you went and you laid that before God at the temple to say, I want to show God how great you are and, and give back what you've given me. The principle here is to be sacrificial, not giving out of our surplus. Our generosity is to be sacrificial and not out of surplus. So if you wait till everything is in, then you, you end up giving God the surplus, what's, what's left over, what I can afford to kind of put aside. Right? The surplus is the part that you can afford to give without actually cutting into your lifestyle or the normal way you live. Um, it's what you can afford to give and still do the things you want to do and buy all the things you want to buy. It's the kind of stuff that's the leftover, right? It's on, it's on the end. It's a part of your income you can afford to give away without it really changing much. But God says to Israel, I don't want you to give your leftovers. I, don't, I, want, you to, I want you to give your first overs, <laughs> the first things that come. I want you to give sacrificially. I want you to give to the point where it might change the way you actually live. Otherwise, you're not giving the way you ought to. You're not trusting me. You're not recognizing the great joyfulness that, that I've given you. Now, do you see why this is relevant to times that are hard, like Habakkuk's in? See, in good times, there's surplus. In good times, you're making enough money and everything's sweet, and so you can give money away to places, you can go on holidays, you can have a fun time and still live the way we want. But in bad times, in hard times, in economic scarcity, you can't. Everything's a cost. Everything's a sacrifice. How do we think about living and being generous in times like these, in times that are hard? Well, we need to learn to not give out of the surplus. Because if you, if, you, if you learn to give out of the surplus, then when hard times come, you won't give because there's nothing left. Sacrificial giving is giving when the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes on the vines. It's giving out of hardship. Now, I'm fully aware you can't give what you don't have. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. But the thing is, for me, I often do have although I think I'm pretty tight. (laughs) It's interesting, in the New Testament, Paul really holds up one model of a generous church. As we think through how do we apply this to us, he he puts out one church. And as I thought through, who who would I hold out if I was going to hold out the generous church? I reckon you you go and choose the church that's giving phenomenally, like that's giving so much money, that's supporting all these great kind of missional activities, seeing people come to know Jesus, loving the world around them, right? But he doesn't. He doesn't go to the church that's giving the huge amounts of money. You know, I'd imagine you know, the church with the, the large, big checks going, look how much we're giving. You know, there's the big ones that says, look, this is great. I'm, I'm giving heaps away. Um, it, it's not that. It's a church who probably gave little, but they gave out of their poverty. They gave out of times of economic hardship. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9. It's, it's, it's on the screen. Paul says, during a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently 
for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. This is the Macedonian church. Paul's holding this up uh, to the Corinthian church to say, do you see them? Do you see how they get what this is about? And we'll understand this a bit more as we go through. They, they, they longed to give. Uh, it came out of the midst of their affliction and their poverty, but it welled up with great joy. Now, I know when things are tight for us, that really there's not great joy for me as I give. It's like, oh, it's hard. What am I missing? Why are these guys giving out of great joy? And, and it's, it's, it's different for me. For them, it's a privilege. They begged for the privilege. Can we give more? Like, I, I want to support this more. And as I thought through it, I think it's because giving is connected to the generosity God has shown us. Giving is connected to the gospel. And that's why it's joyful. Giving in line with God's principles is joyful. And now if you're a Jew back in Habakkuk's time, you'd get this. Um, maybe not exactly at Habakkuk's time, before that, before the temple was kind of gone and you actually had the temple around. See, see, the Jews weren't allowed to come and bring their gift and just kind of stick it in the plate, stick it at the altar and just walk away and be like, cool, that's done. The whole way the service worked, the whole system didn't allow that. Have a listen in Deuteronomy um, 24, 26, about what actually happened when they brought their offerings to God in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 26, verse 4. Then the priest would take the container from your hand and place it before the altar of the Lord your God. You are to respond by saying, in the presence of the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Arab man. He went down to Egypt with a few people and lived there. There he became a great and powerful and populous nation. As you keep looking through this section, it keeps going on, recounting the amazing works of God, giving generous things to his people, saving them, bringing them out of this land, giving them a land that flowed with milk and honey. Every time they gave, that's what they said in God's presence. They were to remind one another of God's phenomenal generosity, of the way he'd acted throughout history. And you'd stand there going, man, you are an awesome God. That you would do this for me? Every time they offered their first fruits, they recounted the gospel, the good news of how God was saving them, which would eventually be fulfilled in Jesus. This, this gift that I have is actually part of God's generosity to me. All my work is a gift. All I have is really a gift from Him. So it kind of hits me that, that giving's joyful because it recognizes that I'm, I'm being part of God's amazing gift to me. There's no way I can think that it's because of my strength that we got here. Or for them, that, that yes, I, I brought us out of, out of Egypt. I parted the Red Sea. <laughs> yeah. No, it was all because of God. The Psalms were kind of the, the, the greatest hits of the Jews. And the book of Psalms are the kind of the songs they'd sing to one another to remind one another of how great God was. And number 24 on their greatest hits is called Psalm 20, 24. And it says this, The earth... And everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. See, they knew everything was God's. Everything we have, everything they had, came from God. It belonged to Him. You think about it, where we were born. I had no choice over being born in Australia. and I could have been born in some little tribe in Africa. I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I've had. The skills that I have was because my parents could afford to send me to university and um, the opportunities that have happened, I haven't brought along them. 
the education that I have, your very next breath, all of it, says Psalm 24, belongs to God. It's all given by God. It's so easy, isn't it, to think of what we have as being achieved by us. Do you find that? I kind of go, yeah, it's, it's my money. It's, it's my possession. I tried this experiment on our kids this week. Um, I, I wanted to see if our kids kind of got the kind of big picture principle that this was talking about. Um, I wanted to see who would give me one of their chips if, if I bought them some chips and gave them to them, if they'd actually give me one back. So I kind of went to the cupboard, I got some chips out, I gave them to, to a couple of our kids, uh, and I said, all right, here you go, there's, there's some chips, you can have them. And they're like, cool, they're into it, and I'm like, hey, can I have a chip? Now, I'm not going to name names, but there was a variety of kind of responses. Um, some, um, it wasn't necessarily the younger, but some were like, oh, I really want to eat these chips. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, I, I gave them to you, they're great, hey, can I, I'd like to have one too, can I have one? And they're like, um, but you, you can just get another packet out, out of the cupboard. I'm like, I could. Yeah, but I was just wanting one of your ones. I just wanted to share one. I didn't want a whole packet. And they're kind of like, oh, okay, you can, you can have one. It was like, I mean, you do realize that, that, that I gave you that packet. Like, I bought it. The, the, they're not your chips. The, they're the ones that I bought with my money and gave to you. And now you're, you're, you know, you're struggling to give it back. Um, one of our other kids just was like, sure. Now, I don't think she'd actually thought about it, I mean, what was going on there. She was just kind of like, but then we, we chatted through it. I'm like, it's kind of like God, right? This is what I'm like with him. He gives us so much. And then I'm like, oh, do I want to be generous? And I've got this lacking of joy. And I'm like, hang on, <laughs> it's his anyway. Like, he's just given me some. Like well, the way we think through our giving shouldn't be, oh, um, what should I give back to God? Like what, what should, what, how much should I give him? It should be, how much should I keep for myself? It's all his. How much do I need to be able to live and serve and see his, his news go out? Everything God gives me, I keep being pushed and, well, pushing myself to kind of love the gift rather than the giver. To think that it's mine rather than his. I get wowed by the sparkle and the bling and the joy of, of, of enjoying stuff, don't you? And I start thinking, yeah, I earned this. You worked hard, Rowan. <laughs> but really, it's a gift from God and it's all His. Jesus says in, in Matthew uh, verse, chapter 6, helping us to think about where our treasure is, what things we love and enjoy. He says, don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourself treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why does Jesus say in the midst of a talk about giving to his followers, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also? I take it that what he's saying is that whatever your heart treasures will be where your money goes with the least amount of effort, right? Well, um, you'll always be most joyful spending money on the things that your heart most treasures. Is that true for you as well? Is that the way that kind of it works? I, I imagine it this way. Imagine that you hate cricket. You hate it. You know, it's a boring game, goes for too long. You just, it's just 
It's awful. You hate that you stand in the sun and watch these guys in white stand out on a pitch. Like you hate it. It just doesn't, doesn't do anything for you at all. Uh, but maybe you're a parent and maybe one of your kids loves cricket. Don't know why, but they do. Um, and every so often there happens to be like a World Cup match that happens to be played at Eden Park, a couple of streets up from where you live. And then you're like, well, I should really take the kids to the cricket, right? I, should, I, I hate it, but, but I, should, I should take them there. And so then you kind of, you look online and you book the tickets, and you're like, far out. Do you see how expensive these tickets are? Like, man, all that for I'm paying to stand in the sun all day and just watch these guys. Be like, no, it's all right. I'll, you know, I'll get over it like a stab in the heart. I'll be like, oh, I'll take it for the team. I'll go with the kids and you, and you take them there. It's important for them, right? And so as you go, you, you hand over the ticket and you're like, there goes half my wallet. And you're like, there we go. You know, your heart's not in it. But you just grit your teeth and you, and you go through it for the sake of the kids. Now imagine that you love cricket. That cricket is like what you live for. You're always up with the stats. You've been watching all the players. You know, their run histories, their batting averages. You kind of, you've been watching them and you just know all, and this is, and then you hear that the World Cup's coming to New Zealand. That there's a game between like a good team and a bad team, Australia and New Zealand. You can work out which way that goes. Um, and, and you want to kind of see what happens and you're like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give this up for anything. Right, and so you're like, this is man. I, not only do I get to go and watch it, I get to be near the team. I get to be, hear what's going on. I'm kind of, I'm part of the action. I'm there. I'm, I'm involved in it. Who, you jump online, you see the cost. Who cares? You get to be part of the World Cup. You're like, I'm in. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. When you when you treasure it, it doesn't feel like you're spending much, does it? Whatever you love most, wherever your heart finds the most joy. You've got to work hard not to spend too much <laughs> rather than to go, oh, I really should spend some money at some point on that thing I really love doing. Like, No, you're like, whoa, whoa, hold me back and stop me. And I think here's a helpful kind of litmus test for how our relationship with God is going. Do I treat God as just a kind of impersonal insurance policy? I grit my teeth, I come to church. I'm like, yeah, he's great. I give because that's what Christians do. And, you know, I'll put money in the bank and and off we go. It's a, a good test for whether or not we've actually experienced the phenomenal joy of knowing the creator of the universe. Knowing that our sins are forgiven of knowing that, that we can stand in relationship with one another and God forever, that death is not the end. That's the promise of Jesus. Those claims that Sean talked about, that, that kind of convinced him, that's what he became convinced of. Jesus is the real deal. He actually is God the Son. And if that's true, and if he's done that, man, I'm in. See, if you've experienced that gift, if you know his love, if your life depends on Jesus, your every breath is in his hands. You'll love to give to seeing more people understand that. You'll have no problem with it. You'll be begging for opportunities. I want more. I want to be on the team. I want to be involved. I want you to use me to, to see more people come to know you. Giving sacrificially will be a joy. Giving past the point where you can afford to give and still live an ordinary way uh, will be a joy. Giving to the point where it changes the way you live. You'd be like, that's fine. I get to see the cricket game. I get to be involved in what God's doing. 
if we can't give joyfully and sacrificially, and I include myself here, then maybe there's something going on in my heart and in my relationship with God that I don't quite yet get. Maybe I've dropped my eyes for a second from the amazingness of Jesus and who he is and what he's done. Well, as we get back to Habakkuk, we see that he then takes this kind of fun talk, right? Hey, glad you came to church today. Um, we see that he kind of takes this principle and then moves it up a whole nother level. He says, what do we do when there are no first fruits because there's no harvest? What if there was a situation in which God was not providing any food at all and we're about to starve? Well, what if there was a situation in which, which God was not providing any protection because the invaders and the marauders would, would come and about to trample underfoot the people? We go, how would God let that happen? Why would he let that go on? Well, have a look at last week's talk. Jump on our website. Have a listen to why that went on. God was in control. He is good and he's bringing people to trust him more. It does happen though. We live in a world that it's hell-bent on rebelling against him. And sometimes God lets those things happen. He works through disaster. He molds us and shapes us. The point is, there are millions of people, faithful people, some of whom who, who trust in Jesus, who face this situation and are facing it right now. Not just economic scarcity, not even just bankruptcy, but starvation and persecution. Habakkuk says to us all, I want you to know it's possible, even in those situations, to make God your treasure. To rest your heart in God and to rejoice in Him. How? Well, look carefully at Habakkuk. You rejoice not in the circumstances of what's going on, because there are no circumstances to rejoice in. It's not like, yes, this is great, God. I love that you're not giving me stuff. I love that life is hard. No, 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 no. It's not delusional. But you rejoice, Habakkuk rejoices in God, his Savior. If you've trusted God, if you've put your life in his hands, if, if you've trusted Jesus, that he has died for you, then as you look back, no matter what situation you're in, no matter where you're at, as you look back at your past and the things that you've done and the things that you've said, you can remember that your rebellion against God has been forgiven. That Jesus died for it. There's no condemnation for me. My past is, is fixed. <laughs> Everything I ever said or done or thought, if I trust Jesus, has been poured out on him. And as you think about your future in this situation of dire need, how am I going to live? What will I do in this circumstance? You remember that you will have a new body. That death is not the end for those who trust in Jesus. That's his claim. If you don't um, believe that claim, I want to encourage you to check it out. Check out the historicity of who Jesus is, what he said and done. Is he really who the Bible claims he is? I'm convinced historically from the Bible and from outside sources he is. And that means that my future is resurrection. It's life after death. It's a, it's a new body. It's in relationship with God forever, forever. Habakkuk says, those two realities, that's enough. That's enough to be joyful, looking at what he's done for me in the past 
and what he's offered me in the future, I can stand going, you are an amazing saviour and I love you and I serve you no matter what. It's possible to say everything else is going wrong and awful, but if I have Jesus, if I've been saved, that's all I need. I can hold on. I can experience the peace of knowing right relationship with God. I can still be filled with joy. Not at the circumstances, but at the God who loves me and has saved me. Do you see that? It's not about being happy in the circumstances, being happy in who God is and what he's done. Now, to me, I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. Sounds brilliant. Yep, I just go, look how great Jesus is. You know, why didn't you tell me that earlier? It would have been all fine. How do you actually live that? That's high. How do you actually go? Like, I look at Habakkuk and I'm like, I don't know how I'd go in that situation where I had nothing. I'd be like, I want to give up. I think, (laughs) I think as I look at Habakkuk's example, if I'm honest, I'm not actually inspired by it. I find myself crushed by it. I find myself going, I can't do that. Like, I'm not like him. I'm stuffed. How do, how, how, do I, how do I do it? It's too high. I can't achieve it. But if we look to the one who Habakkuk points us to, the God who saves, the one who had everything taken from him, when it got to the end of his life, Jesus only had one possession, and that was his robe, and even that was torn from him. Everything gone, even his father's love. On the cross at that point, as we look to Jesus, he's not saying, I'm not getting anything out of this relationship. I'm out. Right? On the cross, Jesus is rejoicing and trusting in God. Though everything's been taken away from him. He's saying, I trust in you. My, ha- my life is in your hands. Why did he do that? Why did he suffer like that? He did it for us. He did it for us. So that as we try to trust God in those hard times like Habakkuk did, and we fail, we can remember that it's already been done. As we falter in, in our trust of Jesus, we can remember that Jesus did it for us. And, and so our faltering kind of fallible faith, our trust in Jesus, what he's done, helps us to go, well, we might not be perfect. I might, I might have my doubts. I might go, I need more. I'm not totally like, yep, everything's sweet. We can live remembering that Jesus did it for us in our place. That's why Habakkuk, um, that's how Habakkuk is suggesting we live though, is by trusting that Jesus has done it for us. And that's the reason why we can move to a whole new level, an even greater level than what we've got in Deuteronomy 26. See, in the Old Testament, the, the, the Jews were supposed to remind themselves that God saved them from Egypt. That was to help them to remember why they were being generous. It was, it was a free gift. We're here. We don't deserve it. We couldn't have achieved it for ourselves. It was great. And that's what the Bible calls grace. Grace is just an undeserved gift. But what they didn't know back then was how much that gift cost. They didn't know that God's own son would have to die for their rebellion against him. That's a costly gift. Anyone ever died to give you something? Well, they have, and his name's Jesus. On the cross, Jesus had everything taken away so that we could stand forgiven. 
what the Israelites didn't understand was that the only reason they could be saved was because God gave his only son. They were being caught up in something of, of God's giving of himself. God gave his son. Jesus gave his blood. Remember what we said about sacrificial giving? And we said that God wants us to give not just out of surplus, but sacrificially. I don't want you to give just what you can afford without changing your life. I want you to give past the place where it changes your life. Well, that's what Jesus did. That's what he did for us. It, it, he lost his life. As I look to Jesus, I go, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to lose my life. That he's done it for me. And that enables me to go, but I'm happy to give and be part of this in a way that might change mine. If Jesus lost his life, man, I can see more and more people come to know Jesus. I can, I can share the money that God's entrusted to me to see the kingdom keep going forward. And more people come to know him like Sean, like many of you here. So that in eternity, people will be in right relationship with God and with us. When you see what Jesus has done and how much it cost and that he did it for you and me, that takes our hearts. It does something to us. It pushes us and molds us and goes, wow, how great you are and helps us to make Jesus our greatest treasure. And when he becomes our treasure, it's not going to be a problem to give. If Jesus gave to the place where he lost his life and we treasure what he's done, then I can certainly give to the place where it changes mine. Can't you? Why don't we pray that God would help us now together to see the amazingness of Jesus. Not to give in some way that we, we, get, we earn the relationship with God. No, but out of, look at what you've done. We want to see this news spread. We want to be caught up in the game in the world you're living and playing. Let's pray. Father God, um, we admit that, that it's hard at times to give to you, to give back to you, to be able to stand and recognize that really we depend on you. Lord, we ask today that you would put before us the amazingness of Jesus again, that we might treasure him that we might live in such a way that well, we're happy to, to serve you with our all. Lord, we commit to you at church's financial position. We know that everything in the world is yours. And so we ask that you would um, help us to keep being generous. Lord, we thank you for the joy that it is to be able to give and for um, really everyone here who's eager to see this news of Jesus go out. And we ask, Lord, that you'd help us not to miss out on the joy and the privilege of partnering with you but to think through how we can see this news of Jesus go to the world around us. And Lord, for those of us here who are checking out Jesus and thinking about what he's like, we ask that you would show them just how important he is. That as we spend this time thinking through the amazing gift he's given us, that they would see that that gift was for them too. Lord, it is such a privilege to know you. It's a privilege to have been saved by your son. We ask that we would live captivated by that picture of Jesus' death in our place and his love for us on that cross. Amen.